This dopey, dopey podcast is coming in your ear with heroin academy sobriety and beer. Dave and that other guy, you know, the hot one, everybody wants to fuck. Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. So pull up a chair, start the car. Let's get on the road. Hey, let's go. The Dopey Podcast is starting up. Welcome to the show. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, Silver Lake, and West Hollywood. Aloe was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his good friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a facility that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of experience treating a addiction, and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, and I've heard proof that this is true. Aloe makes sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, and I've had friends there kicking heroin and crack and meth, so a comfortable detox is the best kind of detox. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually beneficial sweat lodge and so much more if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny southern california for help i highly recommend going to aloe this episode of dopey is also brought to you by Soberlink. somebody cares about your recovery Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professionals, recovery coaches, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email 
info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for someone who cares. Email info at soberlink.com, mention Dopey, and you save 50 bucks off your device. That's info at soberlink.com so we can help you to stay off the sauce. Dopey is supported by Clean Cause, the organic, sparkling yerba mate beverage packed with 160 milligrams of better caffeine. It tastes amazing and is designed to empower your daily passions. The best part is, though, 50% of their profits empower individuals pursuing recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. To date, they've granted over 2,000 sober living scholarships representing more than $1 million. So go to cleancause.com and use that code DOPEY15 for 15% off your next purchase. Support Clean Cause at cleancause.com. It is delicious and sparkling. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. Evolution Accounting and Consulting is a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years and knows the struggles as well as the successes. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. That is promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com. And finally, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by you guys, the Dopey Nation, through Patreon. The truth is that I love making Dopey more than anything. It is my first thought in the morning and usually my last thought at night. I would love it to be my full-time job. And it can be with Dopey Patreon. We make tons of content on Patreon. If you guys get anything out of the show, if you love the show, if you like the show, if the show is good for you, Please contribute to Dopey Patreon. Whatever you give a few bucks is incredibly helpful to me. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. We also have a shitload of gear available in the Dopey store at dopeypodcast.com. We have tank tops for springtime, t-shirts for springtime, hoodies also for springtime, zip-ups also for springtime, mugs, any time of the year is fine. We have two handcrafted dopey mugs available from Sasha Barrett Ceramics. I figured out Sasha is a man, not a woman. I used to call him they, but it is a man named Sasha, and he has two amazing dopey mugs left. Check Instagram for that. I still have a ton of dopey snapbacks and oyve snapbacks, dopey stickers. Just Venmo me, and I'll send it all out to you. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the fucking show. Hello and 
and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and all of you who thought he would never be back, all of you chanting in the streets, picketing, (laughs) what happened to Ray? Where is Ray? I'm right here. The godfather of the G-Folk era, the man who 69's frontline workers. Wait, no, no. What? You can't say that. Why not? <laughs> no more 69. So 69. What about the man no. who wants to fuck the dude's mouth no. like a pussy? No. Um, no? No. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> nice to be back. What a beautiful day. Do you know that you have a, a strong resemblance of me to Eric? I find that you resemble Eric Clapton. I've heard that a lot. I actually, I signed an autograph once as Eric Clapton. When my hair is like this, I look like Eric Clapton. It's Your eyes look, in your hair, you look like uh, 1966 Yardbirds, Eric Clapton. Yeah, I get that and a lot. And he wasn't 60, so you're doing good, my friend. Yeah, he, he he's aged a lot recently, but yeah, there was a time when... You look like young Eric Clapton. I look like 40-year-old Eric, or 50-year-old Eric Clapton. No, you don't. You, your eyes and your hair resemble young Eric Clapton. From here, it's like it could be the guy. Well, they had a Facebook doppelganger day years ago, and I put up Eric Clapton, and people thought I put up a picture of myself. I put up Brandy Quaid, and they thought the same thing. It was very depressing. <laughs> um, so, Ray, before we move on, let's deal with the elephant in the room, and it is not your resemblance to Eric Clapton. Recently, you've taken a hiatus from the Dopey Nation Facebook page. I was page. upstate. You've taken a hiatus from the show. Um, do you have anything to say? Any explanation? No. Not zero. At all. I have zero to say. No comments. No comments. Nothing. No. Zero. I was upstate planting dahlias. If you were going to buy an Andy Warhol lithograph, how much money do you think I you'd spend? I have no idea. Okay. So you've been upstate planting dahlias. Everything is fine. He just... Ray just went to uh, Taco Bandito on my behalf. It was delicious. So Dopey Nation... It's springtime in New York. Lots of people in the Dopey Nation are worried about you. Curious what's going on. You know what I say? He's fine. That's what I said. He's fine. People wrote to me. I'm like, I'm fine. Fine. F-I-N-E, fine. Fucked up, insecure, neurotic, (laughs) and exasperated. He's fine. He has a lot of fear. (laughs) Fuck everything and run. Wait, did you make these up on the spot? Are you kidding me? No, these are old cliches. So, I mean, you haven't been around the show in a little bit. Do you miss the show? Do you miss the process? No. Not at all? No. So what are you doing here? I don't know. I was bored. You had nothing else to do. You don't miss the show? You don't miss kicking I'm around here. with me? I'm here. Just admit it. Admit I'm, it. You I missed the whole missed thing. You. you missed you. I missed you too, right? Welcome back to the show. We talk every day. That's not the point. That is not the point. So, what's going on? Oh, I got the vaccine. You got the vaccine. Alan got the vaccine. We're all good. I had a really interesting thing happen on my first dose of the vaccine. I didn't... Today, I just had my second dose yeah. of the vaccine. What happened on the first day? First dose of the vaccine... Like, I, I guess I hadn't taken a shot of anything in a long, long time. And I left the, the, the hospital thinking that uh, I should taste it. Taste it in your mouth. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Ha- and I had this feeling, this sort of phantom vaccine feeling. That you were going to get high. That I was going to taste something. Yeah, a little. I didn't think I was going to get high, but I th- and it never came. And then I, I tweeted about it, and everyone's like, well, you don't mainline a vaccine. Right. But I feel like when I used to miss, I would still taste it. You would taste it eventually. I think Take, so. It took a little while, but yeah, you taste it. So, I mean... I got the second vaccine today. Um, 
I don't feel anything. I'm hoping I get deathly ill. <laughs> or no, a little ill. I hope I get ill enough to 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 finish watching the new show that I'm hooked on that you would have no interest in, but it's great. What is it? The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, I only heard about it because the girl got fired for oh, saying something. For saying that uh something Nazis. She was comparing the right and the left fighting uh with Jews and uh it was Nazi a, Germany. It was a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> And she got fired, but the man. I, so I, I was carrying. Me and Nora decided to take. Susan. What is it? Science fiction. It's Star Wars. Oh, it's uh the idea. Do you know anything about Star Wars? I've saw Star Wars. Did you see The Empire Strikes Back? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I saw not, the first one. I'm not going to walk you down the path. This thing. <laughs> I worked on Star Wars for years and years. I worked with Lucasfilm. What did uh, you do? Doing the uh, licensing for sheets and towels. What are you They're talking about? It was my company had the license, so we dealt with Lucasfilms, and they would send their people, and they're like, they're interesting, Lucasfilm people. I had like tons of Star Wars like sheets, and and I had I had the the mothership, giant mothership. I had a giant Darth Vader. What's the mothership? The the Death Star. The Death Star. Yeah, we. I built a Star Wars room. I've seen. Oh, I've seen the one with Jar Jar Banks. I've seen that movie like a hundred times. Why? Because we we built a Star Wars theater. And I was working that week, that thing where I... And it's Jar Jar Binks, not Jar Jar Banks. Oh, well, so just to get away from everybody, I would go into the theater and watch that movie. It was like, I will not sit idly by while my kingdom is destroyed. What is that? That's a line from it? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the, the girl. Padma. That's, uh, what's her face? That um, movie star. What, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. <laughs> yes. Um, but The Mandalorian is about a character who is a Mandalorian, and it's a lot like... Uh, it's like a kung fu. It's like really good. Oh. And uh, so me and Nora took Susan to town, and um, we didn't bring the stroller. And Susan is very will- willful. Oh, you know? that's why Susan was on your back. And so Susan says, Daddy, pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up. And I'm like, uh, I'm not going to pick you up because she's heavy. She's got to be 60 pounds. Yeah. And I said, but I'll put you on my shoulders. Just pick me up. Pick me up. And then if I put her on my shoulders, she takes my hat and my sunglasses and she throws them to the floor <laughs> every time. So then you have to kneel down. No, I, 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 I have... hoist her up and I hoist her off and it's over and over and over again. And, uh, and then we went to some party. We went to a St. Patrick's Day party and I felt my back fucked up. I went to an AA meeting and I was like, my back is fucked up. And uh, when I got home, I couldn't, I could barely move. And I was like, ah, I never watched The Mandalorian. And I watched a season and a half of The Mandalorian. And how uh, are you now? I feel better. I, I got rest. I put a heating pad. I took some hot showers, whatever. You know the other thing that Susan does that makes me crazy? What? I have my, my morning routine. And if you didn't notice, you see how healthy I look? Keto. You, you lost weight. A lot of weight. Look how there. much I've gained. I know. You look like the, 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 the robust I'm, Eric Clapton. I'm doubled in size. No, you, I don't think so. But um, fucking, I'm doing my morning routine, and my morning routine is like 90 push-ups and hundreds of Whoa. sit-ups. And I meditate in between 60 and 90 push-ups. That's yeah. my meditation time. And, and now I'm sitting there, and Susan starts screaming, Daddy, from upstairs. Daddy, let me out. Let me out. And I'm trying to meditate. Wait, she's in a cage? No, she's in her crib in her room. She can't get out? No, she can't get out. Oh. And she goes, she's in a crib. I Wait, mean, how old is she? She's going to be three. 
And she goes, let me out, let me out. And I'm trying to meditate and not think, <laughs> not think about her. I'm trying like, to focus let on it her. Go, let it flow from your mind. But what I'm, all I can think about is she's saying, let me out. And she says it like something's going to kill her. So all of a sudden, I'm like scared that there's some horrible entity in the room with yeah, her. Right. And she's going, daddy, let me out, <laughs> let me out. And I just like, I, I always let her out. It's like poltergeist. It's scary. Yeah. That phrase from a locked door, from a baby yeah. saying, let me out. It's like, it, and it's not good for meditation. It's not good at all. It's impossible. <laughs> it's very hard to to find your your space meditating in that moment. My my mom told me when I was three, they couldn't keep me in the house, and they had to lock all the doors. They had to put a special lock at the top of the doors that I couldn't reach. I would run away and like be like a mile away, and that'd be in a cow pasture. What would you be doing in the cow pasture? Running, <laughs> running as fast as I could. So when did you get out of the crib? Do you have any idea? Well, I know that that was when I was three, so I don't know. Yeah, I think we're right on the cusp of the toddler bed, but like... I just have visions of her, like, opening the door and falling down the steps. Well, I would think she could crawl over the edge of a crib. No, it's, like, high. No. If she... No, she couldn't. I, I could imagine... In my imagination, I could see her vaulting over the thing. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. That That is just not going to happen with her. But she is... Uh, yeah, those, a, those stairs are steep. Oh, yeah. I mean, did I tell you the story? When we came back from the lake over the at the over the summer... I'm sitting on the porch with her, and we're all, like, out of our minds. And, and, and Nora and Linda are in the house, and me and Susan are, are sitting on the porch. And yeah. she's pacing back and forth. She took Nora's softball helmet and put it on her head, and she's going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, Susan, be careful <laughs> up the steps. The next thing I know, she falls down oh, the steps. No. But on her head, her head hits the step, and she goes, feet overhead. Into the bushes, and I'm. It looked like she got killed. You know, Wait, which stairs are these? The front steps on the on, on the, the porch, front of the house. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, she was fine. Her head is like a fucking bag of rocks. I swear to God, if I hit you with Susan's head, if I like swung Susan at yeah. you, you'd be knocked out. Her <laughs> head is fucking strong as hell. If you ever renovated your house, your stairs wouldn't meet code. You'd have to redo them. Why? They'd have to be wider and not as steep. In the inside. The inside. Are you sure? Yeah. How do you know? Because I've no New York State code. So what are you saying? I'm just. I mean, you don't have to do that now. If I renovate the house, we have to renovate the stairs. Yeah, they'd come in and yeah, they're, they're grandfathered in now. But if you ever did anything, you know, it's not going to happen. I disagree with that assessment. I disagree with your knowledge of New York State codes that I need to redo. Um, I had to put hurricane clips on my house, which hold the roof on in case there's a hurricane. And while I was doing that, I'm like, this is bullshit. And then like a fucking hurricane blew through. <laughs> right. And it was a good thing you had the clips. Yep. That's interesting. I, I'm I'm in the in the mindset of like I would like to get a pool, like a real pool. Yeah. Like it's expensive. And you just pay for it for thirty years, but you have a pool. You yeah. swim and stuff. Yeah. It sounds good. Now everybody wants to know, Ray. What? Um when last we heard from you, right? It was I want to say a it's month ago. It's been a while, yeah. I think it's been a month since you've been on the show. And last we heard, you and your sponsor, Splitsville. Yep. And have you found a new sponsor? Have you become a Ronin? Do you know what a Ronin is? What's a Ronin? Is? A samurai without a master. Yes, I'm a Ronin. You're an AA Ronin? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I talk to 
my first sponsor. And you know, we went, he was like, let's go to this meeting. And we went to the meeting and it was just me and him and Dawn and Aaron. It was so weird. Dopey people. Yeah, it was just a dopey meeting. Well, your sponsor is... is it was he, just so random like that he asked me to go to that. It's, but that people say there are no coincidences, Ray Brown. People say there are none. And so you worked hardcore with your old sponsor. You worked your fingers to the bone. Yeah, I did a lot, and I, I, we, yeah, I made a lot of progress. And I'm just like burned out from it, and I don't feel like jumping back on that boat right away. I've been going to some meetings, not like I was, but going to a few. And I talked to your friend. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't feel any. Pro- there's any problem. Well, and you don't feel any. You do. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't feel there's any problem. I think that. I mean, you said it to me. You said I wrote like a hundred pages, and the guy never fucking read it. Yeah. And like, I think I have no opinion. Like, as long as you're doing good, what do I care? Yeah. No. You I'm, know what I mean? I'm, like, that's my opinion. Um, as long as you're not California sober, Calif- I think, California sober. I think you're okay. Um, fucking, um, yeah. Demi Lovato came out as she's California sober. But what does that mean? She doesn't take heroin? No, it means she drinks and smokes right. weed when she, she wants. So she she's, drinks and smokes. What was she doing before? She overdosed on fentanyl and heroin. Oh, and okay. She like had three strokes. And she's and a singer. That. She's some kind of pop actress. Star. I don't know. Some some. She's a big deal. But then I saw. There was a woman who came on our show, Jennifer Jimenez, who was some kind of model, yeah. TED Talk, TV star, movie actress person. And she was like, I'm California sober and I'm abstinent. So it, it creates this, uh, this feud, if you will, this beef between California abstinent people and California, quote unquote, sober people. I, if you asked me, I would guess California sober means you smoke weed. To throw alcohol into that, Kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> well, her, her take is that there is no one-size-fits-all to recovery, and I agree with that. Yeah. Now, speaking of destroying the dopey nation, you know, you and Ryan Leone s- s- double-handedly, single-handedly, double-handedly, what's the phrase there? I don't know. The two of you guys burned the whole thing down, threw the match, and walked away. I have no idea what you're talking about. Amazing. Amazingly amazed. Done. In, uh, with amazing gusto, in in the wake of of you and Ryan Leone leaving uh, the Dopey Nation in fire, there was a huge beef between harm reductionists and twelve steppers, alt recovery and AA, fucking th- crazy town. I thought they were like they were all on the same page. Like you're doing it that way, and I'm doing it this way. Well, uh, we're, we're bringing it back to center. We're getting back to a nice oh. and peaceful place. But I've been thinking about Dopey I, beefs. Th- almost everybody I talk to. In the Dopey Nation smokes weed. Really? Yeah. Not everybody, but a lot of them that, that I'm writing back and forth to, they smoke weed. And they're like, that's cool. I think there's a percentage of the Dopey Nation who probably smokes weed and a percentage that doesn't. And, and Dopey Nation, if you're out there and you're engaged in some sort of California recovery, uh, send us a line. Dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Your opinion. I'm very interested. I think it's interesting that states where it's legal, people are still buying it, not at the dispensary because it's so expensive. It's cheaper to buy it from the dealer. The oh, yeah. The but I mean, state dispensary is very expensive. But that's where you get that serious dank bud, the good stuff. And the gummy bears. I would like, if I was smoking weed, 
I would personally love to go to the dispensary. I would love to read the description notes. I've done that. I've done that online. I like that kind of stuff. Now, talking about dopey beef, though, we haven't had a good, true dopey beef on the show in a while. What was the last one? I don't remember. The last dopey beef um, was was you and Ryan Leone, but besides that... Before that, I, I think it was before I started doing the show. We haven't had a dopey beef in a while. I can't even think of it. Oh, wait. It was Twitter and Reddit were fighting. Facebook and Reddit were fighting. That was just when I came in. There was, West Virginia. I, I, had a, I had my vice beef. I haven't had a real dopey beef in a while, but I want to start one. Okay. And, do you want um, me to do it? Well, I'm, the person that I'm considering starting a beef with yeah. has nothing to do with me. And she doesn't deserve a beef, but she annoys me. Her name is Mackenzie Phillips, daughter oh, daughter of Papa I, John Phillips. I just bought her book, and I haven't read it yet. Star of One Day at a Time. She ignores me. Well, she's probably, she has nothing to sell. You know? she, she does. She just started a recovery podcast. Oh. And I heard on the podcast she says she's better than Dopey, especially Wait, you, right? That's said, what she said. No. She said that show Fuck sucks. Mackenzie Phillips. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe... The only way we could get her attention is by starting a beef. The with new mamas and papas. Oh man, that was the saddest group. Spanky. That was the saddest group in the history of the group. I went to see uh, oh, what's his name uh, from Howard the uh, Gilbert. I went to see Gilbert Gottfried, and he was so funny. And then one of the last things he said was, "I just read Mackenzie Phillips' book. I can't even get my daughter to hold my hand when we cross the street." Well, it's a it's a rough story, and I don't really think I want to start a beef with Mackenzie Phillips. I'm just annoyed because she would be such a phenomenal dopey. Guy. She could have written back and said, "Like I, I'm, thanks for asking. I don't want to do the show." Doctor Drew's wife asked her on our behalf, and she declined. But she still just ignores me, and I fucking I'm like, uh, "What's her face?" Um, oh, so she like officially responded then. Not to us, to Dr. Drew's wife. And then Dr. Drew's wife who's said the to you... Lady, who's the lady in Fatal Attraction? Uh, Glenn Close. Glenn I'm Close. like Glenn Close. I will not be ignored, Mackenzie Phillips. That's the big line. I just walked by Glenn, uh, Fatal Attraction apartment, the place where she supposedly lived, which, like, she was like an ad exec or something. In the movie, she lived in the Triangle Building at 9th and 14th, which was like all sex clubs. Like, she would never have lived in that. That's a creepy movie, and it's a good movie. Yeah, it's good. I watched it recently. I rewatched it. It holds up, and it also holds up as a good timepiece. Is there anything that's interfering with your happiness, Ray Brown? Sadness. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? Depression. Yes, it's true. But you know more than most people that BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. In fact, weren't you doing much better when you were talking to the therapist? I had a a great experience with BetterHelp, and then my fucking sponsor, like, forbid me to talk to them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Because he wanted, like, he didn't want another voice in my head. Right. So maybe it's time to go back to BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com sets you up with a perfectly matched professional who can help you with things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationship problems. I think I'm depressed. I think I'm looking into a crystal ball of what you need. It's betterhelp.com. It is a broad range of expertise. Everything you share is confidential. And they want you guys to start living a better life today. And I want 
you to start living a better life I today. won't disturb living a better life. Well, you can do it and save 10% off by going to betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. That's betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. Join now. There's over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with better help, including you. I see the eyes opening up. <laughs> I think up I here. need to go back. You're going to go back? <laughs> I told you about that. I dropped oatmeal on the floor a week ago. I never cleaned it up. Broken bowl. I think better help could help you with that. So let's just understand this dopey nation for a second. Ray Brown lives alone. And he's depressed. Like I, I'm, I'm gonna pull. I'm, I'm pulling the trigger. I was telling my first sponsor yesterday. I'm like, you know, I've stopped opening my mail. I've stopped opening my email. I don't. I drop oatmeal on the floor and I don't clean it up. And he's like, sounds like you're depressed. Well, understand this dopamine. He dropped a bowl of oatmeal on the floor. Oatmeal is everywhere. Shards of glass are everywhere. For a week, Ray's husband is coming home tonight. And Ray goes, I got to clean the house because my <laughs> husband is coming home. And, and then he says to me, I have a, bowl, a broken bowl of oatmeal on the floor. I said, why didn't you clean it up? He said, I'll get back to it eventually. While he's doing nothing else. He's right. not responding to anybody. So, Ray, better help? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think springtime, the vaccine, you're going to get out there again. Fucking... I would I recommend twelve step because it was working, but st- you gotta do something. Can't do nothing. Yeah, I think I'm gonna ride a bike home from here today. Well, what are you gonna add to your life then? Going to Florida for my mom's ninetieth birthday. So and there are no random hookups right now. No, not until the vaccine. Not until the vaccine kicks in. What about trolling the pages? No, no, not really. No wrestling uh, ringlets. <laughs> you know they started showing me those again. Who did? YouTube? I found out who, yeah, YouTube. I found out who they are. It's Dagestan. It's a, a, a state, a province in Russia called Dagestan where wrestling is like super big. And it's like, it's near Chechnya. So they're showing you. They're showing me Dagestanian wrestlers. Wrestling dealies. Yeah. It's amazing. Well. That's why I shaved my mustache off. Because they don't have the mustache. They have a beard and no mustache. Like a Mennonite. Like a Mennonite. Like a Mennonite. Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now. Uh, we had a, a great guest this week. He is a vibraphonist. Is that what you say? A vibes player? A vibraphone Vibra- player? Vibraphonist. His name is Mike Dillon. He played with Les Claypool. He played with, uh, what's that lady that we talked about? Fuck. Lana Del Rey. No. He played with... Uh, Courtney Love. No. It was the woman who stole Joni Mitchell's style. Oh, oh, Ricky Lee Jones. He played with Ricky Lee Jones, Les Claypool, a ton of people. Fucking Galactic. You ever heard Galactic? No. I love Galactic. Did I, I told you about my Ricky Lee Jones sighting. That I was with my coworker, and we're like, look at that crazy lady putting up Ricky Lee Jones posters. And then we're like, holy shit, it's Ricky Lee Jones. I think the original <laughs> story you said was, look at that homeless lady yeah, putting yeah. up Ricky exactly. Lee Jones That's posters. what it looked like. Well, this dude is a miraculously gifted vibraphonist and musician. His name is Mike Dillon. I thought he was really fun. So, it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting story. So here he is, Mr. Mike Dillon. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I'm here with the first kind of, well, the first vibraphonist I ever met. So his name is Mike Dillon, and he's a very prolific musician. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Dave. Nice to see you. How you doing? Now, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? 
I can't complain. You know, we're starting to get some work. I'm yeah, clean, man. You know. I was on the phone with Mike last week, and he's driving from Kansas City to Oklahoma. He's the, he's the a true gigging musician. How's gigging in the fucking uh, world of COVID for the minute? You know, at first, like I think everyone else, for the first three or four months, we didn't do shit. Just hid in the house, sprayed down the uh, groceries before they came in the door, wore the hazmat suit. And then I would say about June, we decided to start playing some outdoor gigs. You know, we sort of got got into that vibe. So pretty much just did like on friends' porches. We'd do like outdoor shows. And then in New Orleans, a couple of places, uh, people built like stages and backyards. It was all very like underground. And in New Orleans, they, they actually got approved by the city. This one place called the Trash Pile. Like, they told them what they had to do to keep it socially cool. And another club, they opened up an outdoor venue outside in their parking lot. So it was mainly just, like, outdoor stuff. And people were getting creative, trying to keep income coming in to the clubs and not breaking the law at the same time. And now places are starting to do a few indoor shows here and there. And that's a little bit more terrifying. I just realized, like, I don't like being in clubs anymore. But I've done, like, two or three of them and survived them. So. That's interesting because I can imagine that you've basically lived in clubs for the past 20 years, right? Yeah, since, you know, I started gigging in the 80s, you know, 84. So I've been living in nightclubs for 36 years. And I, it's funny now that you used to be in cigarettes every night. You know, it was cigarette smoke. And I remember when they outlawed cigarette smoke, we were like, oh, my God, no one's going to want to come to clubs anymore because everyone wants to smoke going to kill our business and then of course no one wants to smoke in clubs anymore like every great while i'll play a smoking club like in some weird town and you're like it's like being transported back to like a david lynch film or something you know like it's some weird movie where like people are smoking and well when you go to a club back in the day and people are smoking you felt like you were someplace like you're on to something and you're in some kind of secret society and now if you go to a smoking club I bet you it really it feels like you're getting transported in time but it also feels like you're in some outlaw place because you all grow up everybody grows up thinking you shouldn't smoke you know what I mean like yeah. it, that's like a right. thing so then when you go to the club and everyone's smoking it's like a bunch of outlaws you know and you're a part of it Exactly. Yeah. I, I think you're you're you seem like a big outlaw to me. And if you guys don't know Mike Dillon, he just put out three fucking records at once, which is pretty crazy. He's played with with the great Les Claypool. He's got some of the best named bands I've ever heard. Garage Atois, fucking the Dead Kenny G's. He played with Galactic, who I love, Ani DeFranco, Ricky Lee Jones, fucking a million places. Punkadelic. Mike Dillon and the Bad Decisions, these are all great band names, so I commend you for that. I've been in so many bands, and we spent the whole time looking for a band name, and you have 20 good band names. Yeah, I still have a lot of bad band names. I had a band called Harry Apes Butt Moving Experience. Yeah, I didn't mention that one. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it needed to be mentioned, but what yeah, else? What, what other? I would call, like, that was back before, like, the internet, and I would call, hi, this is Mike, because I had a band called Billy Goat before that. I'd be like, this is Mike from Billy Goat. I have my new band, the Harry Ace Butt Movement Experience, and they would just start laughing. You know, I've been reading all these James Goodall books and Diane Fossey and just, like, really thinking about our 
nature as human beings in relationship to the five other great apes, you know, like, like really in a scientific terms, like orangutans, bonobos, gorillas, chimpanzees, you know, and then there's humans. We're the only ones that like that go to war and keep dope. True. That is totally true. What was your favorite <laughs> band? What's your favorite band name that you've been in? I don't know. The Dead Kennedy G's, I didn't come up with that name, but being a, I love the Dead Kennedys, and um, that was a pretty good one. And, and we were backstage, and Les Claypool, he just drew our design like in three seconds. There's a picture of Kenny G on the ground with a soprano sax coming out of his ass, like he'd been impaled. And that became our t shirt. So we were just like, oh, we got the shirt, and you can buy it. We sold like thousands of them. Are they still for sale? Can other people get Kenny G's uh, sacks coming out of the butt on a T-shirt still? I think people would want that. Um, I think there's maybe three of them left, but we, we have the rights to it. We can promote it. We, we've sort of been on a hiatus. I've learned that any time you have a band with musicians, when a band breaks up, sometimes it breaks up forever. Other times it just breaks up until whatever's ailing the member that causes the breakup or whatever it is, you never know when someone's going to be like, let's play some gigs again. So I don't, it's, it's sort of like being off dope. Like, you know, you just got one day at a time to be off dope. You can say you're quitting forever, but if you fuck up and go down that wrong road, then all of a sudden you're back on the dope train wishing you were dying. How old were you when you started getting high in general? You know, I was like everyone else in the 70s. I think the first time I smoked weed was 1976. In fact, I know it was. And we walked to McDonald's and got like 28 quarter pounders and cheese and what everyone else does the first time they smoke weed. And time, when you're like 11 years old smoking weed back in the 70s, probably just like it is now, time slows down. I remember it took forever to walk to McDonald's. And that walk was like a three-block walk from our house. And then like I was back there in my teens. And I, I mean, like... 20 years ago in that neighborhood when I was driving, I was like, wow, that was really close. That, that walk when I was a kid felt like it took like an entire day. It was like a you quest. Know? It was a quest. It was a stoner quest to get to McDonald's. And it was, you were in Texas, right? Yeah, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it was a quick walk without being stoned as a teenager, and then it became an, a total adventure. Did you, become, did you like fall into crazy stonerdom, or was it just like a gradual thing? It was a gradual thing for me. I was pretty driven. Um, I had friends, you know, I played sports and I was in the school band. So we would just like sort of smoke weed every now and then, like at parties and stuff. It it was around, but it didn't become like an everyday thing for me until I got into college. And did you, was the drum you played, did you play drums in school bands or you played something else? Yeah, I started in fifth grade playing the marimba and the drums and the bells and the woodblock at the Christmas concert, all that fun stuff. Then graduated at the Houston Youth Symphony. It was a pretty serious, you know, took drum lessons, wanted to be Neil Peart, you know, because Rush was my favorite band. And I remember I was listening to Rush, and this was like right after my either junior or senior year. And we, used to, we had a friend that when we did want to smoke weed, she was into punk rock, my friend's older sister. And, and also his parents smoked weed, so we would just – take their weed, you know, like find a joint that was rolled and go smoke it. That was like, when we wanted to smoke weed, we'd do that. 
I remember we got whatever we got this one day. I smoked it, and then all of a sudden we we're listening to 2112, and all the wolves and, and all these demons and beings started coming out of like the side of the car and attacking the car, like when Getty Lee was singing. And years later, I was like, you know, I was just like, what was that weed? I hallucinated all night long. All right. And then I come to find out, oh, there was probably PCP in it. Definitely. Because my older, my friend's older sister was already, in, was into heroin and unbeknownst to us. And, um, you know, he went down a, a heavy road, like a lot of us do. Yeah, but, you um, did. I did. How did it happen to you? Like, like, were you in the bands before you started doing heroin or were you uh, fucking with the drugs before you were in the band? Yeah, I was... I was, um, so when I went up to Texas, North Texas State University in Denton, it's a great music school, but it's also known for being a party town. So the first two years of college, I was real serious, maybe smoke weed with the drummer, some on the weekend. But then I started playing gigs with a rock band and like, after, you know, the after parties is where like the first time I saw cocaine, the first time I saw a line of like, you know, what I thought was cocaine and I snorted it and it burnt my fucking head off, you know, and it's like, and they're like, oh, that wasn't cocaine. That's crank. You know, that's what they called speed. It wasn't right. called meth back then. It's just called crank. And the bikers made it and they brought it to town in the crankshaft of their fucking Harleys. And that's why it was nicknamed crank. And it was run by the Hells Angels, not the cartels. And then like those same guys that I did crank with, I remember one day they're like, we got heroin from Dallas. And I was like, ooh, heroin, cool. It was like 88, and I snorted some heroin. I just thought, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And then, But, you know, it was still just sort of partying. But just like the progression for most people, I was playing gigs. You know, originally it started, the partying started after the gigs on Friday or Saturday. And you'd make your gigs still. And then eventually the girlfriend would be like, let's get some fucking crank on Wednesday night. So you'd, do, you'd be burnt out before the gigs even started. And then so I was doing a lot, mainly like a lot of speed back in the, I would say, 88, 89. And, and then when I discovered heroin, I remember one of my friends was like, y'all do heroin. Speed's not good for you. So I was like, cool. And then next thing I know, I was doing by 91, I was shooting it and doing it every day. You know, was there any kind of like mystique about musicians and mystique about, you know, the heroin, like in the punk scene or her- you're a vibraphone player? Were you playing vibraphone at that point? At that point, I was just leading a funk punk band in the vein of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, um, we were called Billy Goat. I was the lead singer and we played percussion. You know, James Addiction. I saw them when they first started coming to town. Perry Farrell. With you know, I remember I, 1990 I, when Nirvana played in Dallas. I was getting high. I was on the guest list. And I didn't make the show. But Kurt Cobain smashed his guitar on the monitors, and my friend Turner bashed his brains out. And Turner and I are still Facebook friends. But um, yeah, you know, heroin exploded. And it, but it wasn't just because it was in the music scene. It's because I was a jazzer too. I loved Charlie Parker. And growing up and going to jazz school, there was always the mystique of dope. With, with what the and then you know I read Ginsburg and Jack Kerouac and I was really interested in William S. Burroughs by like '89, so yeah and that was the first time I snorted heroin and I remember I was at this club in Dallas and I told the lady who ran it 
And like they had Ornette Coleman there every Friday, and I, my band was already getting pretty big. I was like, yeah, I snorted heroin. It was awesome. Like a dumbass 23-year-old bragging. And she's like, well, that's cool. We've had William S. Burroughs here speak at the club. He did, you know, he's done remarkably well with it, all things considered. But most people die on it. And, and <laughs> I, I was, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so Ornette Coleman was playing every Friday in that club? Yeah, at this place called Caravan of Dreams, the Bass Brothers, um, the, 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 fam, the oil family, you know, I think they funded that thing. I think they're also the guys that cornered the silver market in the 80s. But yeah, I remember I there was like three levels of this club. One was really big. I saw Art Blakey there. I saw Tony Williams there. I saw, you know, I'd be walking onto my gig and like he'd be playing like happy hour, prime time. You know what I mean? I'd just be sitting there watching Ornette play and Donardo playing drums. And this is the coolest thing about music. At the time, I was just like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, I understood Art Blakey. I understood Tony Williams. At that time, Art Blakey, I mean, Ornette Coleman scared the shit out of me. And then, of course, three years later, it was all I listened to, you know? That's the cool thing about music. And, and it's amazing, like, that whole genre, that punk, funk, L.A. genre, fishbone, whatever, that, that universe, you know, Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers were so steeped in that crazy energy. They were such disciples of punk rock and funk music. It created a new thing, but that, that scene was so doped out. And they probably found it the same way that you did. You know, it was probably exactly the same thing, right? Yeah, you know, I remember I saw the Chili Peppers in 87, and, and one of my friend's girlfriends, she went backstage, and I think she had sex with a couple of them, and she said they were shooting up. She said Anthony was shooting up right backstage, you know. And, you know, at that point, I hadn't shot dope, but it was like, ooh, the Chili Peppers, my favorite band, are doing dope, you know. And that's how it goes. And, and it's like, that's the mystique. It's funny. You ever, I, I was reading, uh, did you ever read uh, the Keith Richards book? Um, Cause Keith Richards says in the book, he never would mainline the dope. He would always fucking uh, skin pop the dope. And then like every other musician just fucking hit their veins. Like, isn't that just bizarre? I think that's weird. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, my ex, was reading that book, and she would read a lot of excerpts to me when we were driving. But and I remember hearing that that, and I was like, "Wow, that's <laughs> really strange," you know, because he's got the reputation yeah. as being the the king junkie. And my brain was like, "What kind of junkie wastes that shit skin popping?" Also, the kind of junkie that lives to be eighty or whatever. I think he's like eighty three, but it also hurts to miss missing I know, missing I hurts. And I still got like. Spots where I've missed lumps, lumps that just uh, where does what is it that at that point? Like going, oh, is that going to kill me one day? Is it going <laughs> to? I know. I think that's a, a funny, weird thing. So once once the the heroin habit kicks in, uh, how old are you, and, and what's happening in your life? So I remember what it summer of nineteen ninety one. Billy Goat went out to New York City to play. And like I said, I've been dabbling it. My girlfriend and I, we would snort it occasionally, but never got a habit. Was real scared of it. Like, don't get a habit. Just fuck around with it every now and then. Right the night before we left from New York City, 
I mainlined it for the first time. So that was July of 91. Back then when I was 25, I'd be 26 in September. Time moved real slow. That was the long, very long six weeks. Went to New York City, lived there in Hoboken, you know, with my friends in this band, Sweet, Sweet Lizard, Ill Pet. And we got a record deal. And then we went back to Dallas. And it was like we got our first check from Hollywood Records. And there was a little Mickey Mouse thing. We cashed the checks. And I called up my friends that I shot up with that summer. And the dude was like, I'm like, yeah, we got a record deal. I got money. Let's get high. So I just remember like that got back like around September, right around my birthday, right around the turn 26, shot up. And that day when he came over, because I still wasn't fixing, he would do it for me. He's like, you know, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your record company. You're going to lose all your shit. You're going to, and you're probably going to die. I was like, whatever. So that was like the second person who gave me the warning. But we got our record deal. We started getting high every day. And then Jerry Harrison from the Talking Head came and produced our record that December down in Austin. So that was the first time I kicked, like a two-month habit. So I was like, all right, got to go to Austin. want to make the record. Got to, like, be in good shape. So got to Austin, had enough dope to get high that day, and then the withdrawals kicked in. And... Yeah, then it was like the whole cycle. Made a record, but the funny thing about when we made a record, two of the guys in the band, they were also doing dope. It's like everyone just got into dope. And they sent the tour manager up to Dallas to get dope because we didn't know where to get it in Austin. Right outside of Austin, state troopers pulled him over with like an eight ball of coke and a fucking, you know, a bunch of fucking dope. And the van got impounded. Our manager showed up. They got it out. My uncle was a lawyer. He helped us. And our manager just looked at me and said, I didn't know you guys were fucking with dope. Y'all, y'all, y'all ought to wait until you're famous. Through your catalog's at least worth something to us, you motherfuckers. That's funny. You know? it's, so it's funny, you know, but we, it's true. We, we started hiding it. You know, it was just a, you know, and then, then it, and it, just, it definitely destroyed Billy Goat, because like our, our record got released. I mean, we we were selling records, we were touring, sold out places all over the country, and like Metro in Chicago, doing well. You know, Funk Punk was exploding. Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Magic was high. You know, doing great. You know, it was it was a great time to be playing music, and I was just too young and dumb to realize that I was shooting it up my arm. You know? How, what kind of was it tar? It was tar in Texas, or did they get powder there? Yeah, we called it Chiva, but it was like the tar the stuff Chiva. they mixed with something. Yeah, it was like that little powder. Mm-hmm. God, I love that shit. And I think that was probably the when the cartels got into heroin because we were buying it. You just go around these apartments, you knew who to look for. You go in half the time, they'd pull the gun out and put it right in between you, take your money if it was late at night. Other times, you know, just out in the parking lot. They give you the shit, get one and ones. Y'all probably had that in New York too, right? What one and ones? I never did it like that. I I always just had like a dude that would. I would never buy coke. I I rarely ever bought coke. If I ever bought coke, it was because I was with people or because like I had a friend who never had dope and I just want to get high. But I never, I never would buy the coke with the dope. I, I I did a bunch of meth in L.A. and I would do that together. But I always liked the dope. I never needed the the coke or the meth or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, when my, it's like that Steve Earle quote, cocaine is a way of telling God, a junkie to clean up. Because if I had never started the, enjoying speedballs, I really got into speedballs 
that's that just I started doing so much dope and it got so insane so fast, you know? Because there were later times in the 90s where I just got on methadone, was just stay away from the speed, stay away from the coke, and I make most of my shows, and I was as close to being a functioning junkie as possible, you know? When I would get a half gram of meth and fire it, and then it would fuck everything up. Right. I I think one of my favorite things you, you were describing is, like, when you come back from New York and you're young, and you're energetic and you're like, I have money, let's get high. And it's like as though it's going to be this fun thing and, and everyone's just out. You know what I mean? You think you're like doing one thing, but you're not doing the thing you think you're going to be doing. You know what not I mean? It's, it's like hysterical to me. Uh, how, and how would you travel the country with it? Well, see, that was the thing. When we would tour, you know, I wouldn't take enough to, I didn't have the money, you know, and it wouldn't last anyway. So that was the other fun thing about it. Like, I remember like the first time we toured, when having a habit after we made the record, just driving out to Lubbock, Texas of all fucking places. And then the withdrawals kicked in and then driving around town, looking at Walgreens and going, well, could I break in and get some dope? Thinking about drugstore cowboy and realizing, like, all right, I'm not smart enough to do that. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to go to jail. Drive around looking for dudes selling dope. Didn't see anything. And then just throw the gig dope stick and give a real half-ass show. And then, like, all right. And then the next day, I jumped on a plane back to Dallas. That was the first time I started using my manager's credit card to just buy Southwest flights, put the needles in my sock get dope for me and my wife or a girlfriend at the time and then bring some back for her, like bring her back that much. Of course, do all the dope before I even got back. So it was always just sort of kicking, you know, and we were traveling in a van and well, luckily I built up a little network. Like of course, New York city, we go down, we pull into town and we, I would jump out and score on Houston street. Dudes would be saying works get the dope and be shooting up on Houston street in the van while the van was driving. You know, that was New York. It's not what it is now. No, I work on Houston street. It is not like that anymore. I used to cop way far on the East side, but I could, I mean like when I was copping, you couldn't cop needles, you know, you, but you go to the, you go to the, uh, the CVS and get your needles for a quarter. You know what I mean? Um, which is, which is a brave new world. I never, I never did the fucking uh, money in the bucket or sticking my hand in a hole in the wall. It was never like that. And, and I, I started up like around 98, 99, and it was already all delivery or like I would go to Brooklyn and call up a cab and the cab would come with dope. You know what I mean? Like that's how it worked. I was never dealing with anybody like in a hole in the wall kind of scenario. Um, and yeah, I'm, you know, and, and I'm jealous of you because I heard by that time, you know, I kicked in 2000. And by that time, when I would go back, I'd be Jones and people be like, well, you know, they do pagers now. So I'd be calling my 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 clean friends. Oh, my God. I hear they do it by pagers or, or whatever. So I wish to do it that way. Yeah. But the fantasy of putting the money in the bucket and you know, trusting the bucket and all that shit. It sounds, it's, it's a very like to romance. It is easy. You know what I mean? And like, and oh, to- it's definitely boys in the hood, bro. I mean, I had guns put to my head several times and I thought I was cool because I survived, you know, being ripped off. They got my money, but I got the dope. Fuck those motherfuckers. It beats, it beats not being ripped off, you know, it beats being shot in the head. So at least you, you survive. 
Um, yeah. And when did it become like totally insustainable? Because I, I heard a bunch of your story, um, and I should give credit to the great uh, B. Getz of the Up Full Life podcast, who's a, a great member of the Dopey community, and he told me about you, and I listened to you on uh, Up Full Life, and I've read a bunch about you, and like you described yourself as a wheatgrass junkie. Describe like the duality there. Yeah, that was it. You know, like, and, and that that a lot of the cats like on the LA scenes, like River Phoenix. He didn't he didn't survive, but that was sort of the deal. You know, you do drugs all night and then go get wheatgrass. You know, and I first heard about wheatgrass juice coming down. I walked into Whole Foods and a friend who was a musician is like, "Oh, you're up all night." We'll get some wheatgrass juice. It'll, it'll get help detox the drugs. Right. So, you know, it just seemed like you were always either like doing meditation and breathing or just fucking nodding. And I definitely think it helped keep me alive. I think I spoke about that on B's podcast, but like there were many times where I should have died for doing too much shit. And combination of, of knowing breathing exercises and getting wheatgrass and I, I don't know maybe that's why I don't have too many long lasting effects other than that see I had you know because we didn't get drugs at CVS in, in Texas you know you got drugs from pulling up the rug at the shitty hotel you're shooting up I mean needles you know I mean I would never do anything like that but I can remember pulling a rug back and going oh there's needles oh do we have any bleach no, oh, fuck it, you know? No, exactly. And, and, and that's what happens. That's why it's such a criminal thing that they don't treat addiction like a fucking disease. And, and instead, they make it a crime. That's why all these people are dying. Definitely, definitely. Well, that's, that's the nature of, uh, you know, capitalism around the whole thing and, uh, and morality and all sorts of bullshit. And I was very great. I mean, when I was in LA, they weren't selling needles in the CVS and I would be copying needles downtown. And, um, and once in a while I, I would get a used one and I was terrified because it was once in a while. So, and you think it's like Russian roulette. You think you're going to get AIDS. You think you're going to get hep C and you do it anyway because you're so desperate for it. That's like, it's a, it's a crazy, scary thing like even to look back at it it's and it's only a few times that i did that because i had access to all these fucking clean needles or whatever but it's terrifying to think about it to imagine it um and pulling up a rug in a hotel in texas sounds like you know the worst <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah that was the first time i hit rock bottom really bad like that was summer of 98 we'd had a sold out tour all around the country and the, we had this killer drummer named earl harvin he was like the one, there were two guys in the band who weren't junkies. You know, the other four of us were getting high all the time. And he just got sick of it and quit the band. So we got this other drummer. And then it was just like, it wasn't like as good as the old drummer. So instead of being pro, we just imploded. And really quickly, I went from having money from gigs and able to sustain my dope habit to like stealing shit from friends you know, boosting in parking lots, doing everything I could to get my fix, you know. It, it got ugly fast. At that point in the band, you're playing the vibes? that point, I'm just the lead singer. I had green dreadlocks and just, you know, weighed, I weighed 185. I weighed 148 back then. Right. You know? 
on the verge of death, like we all are, and you don't even realize it. Give us more of that of that era. So the band fucking breaks up, and then it's just no money, and you're trying to to keep it afloat. Yeah, I mean, I'd been living on the first floor of my tour manager's house. He bought a house in East Dallas, and East Dallas was the barrio, so I could walk down the apartments and cop. So everyone in town was coming to my apartment. All the junkies, not everyone, but all my junkie friends that didn't cop themselves, I would go get people dope. I'd get a little kicked down. But when he found, after the band broke down, he threw my wife and I out of the house. So we basically in a week were homeless, you know? And so we just jumped around, couch surfing. You know, we still a few, back then CDs, you could get three CDs and pawn them for 10 bucks. Yeah. So Past America became my friend. We'd steal six CDs from the people we'd stand with, get well. And we did that for about a month until we finally got ran out of town for doing bullshit like that. And then we moved to Kansas City, and that was September of 92. Now, in that interim period, the record company paid for me to go to rehab. I lasted there for three days. That's when they introduced me to AA. And I just remember I, I had this prescription from this quack for this fucking morphine. His whole concept was like, well, I started methadone in New York City, and I'm going to get all the street junkies, all heroin, and I'll put you on morphine. So he's like, y'all don't do heroin. You just do morphine. So I showed up at this rehab with a fog. My idea of chicken was like, all right, I'm going to quit doing the heroin. I'll just take these stupid morphine pills because I hated morphine at the time. And the first thing they did was like flush my morphine down the toilet and go, you're a threat to our sobriety here at this rehab. I was like, fuck you. I don't even want to be here. I hate you. You know, and <laughs> within two days, I just broke out of the place. And, Wait, what and, did you think? Did you think they were going to let you keep the morphine in the rehab? Of course. <laughs> right, why not? It's my morphine. Why not? It's my, not heroin. Yeah, exactly. I'm not shooting. I'm just eating these pills. Are you still with the same wife? No, she, we, we split. We made it all through the 90s. She cleaned up on her own. I cleaned up through 12-step things. We were really good friends. We don't really talk much anymore, but we survived it, you know? She was really good. Like I, she was the one who would OD on heroin all the time because she would drink, like do a shot of whiskey, and then I'd, I'd be like, "You didn't drink, did you?" And she'd be like, "Nope." She'd be lying, and I'd give her a shot, and she'd go under. I'd bring her back. If I amped out on speed or coke, she was the one who would calm me down. So we we're a good team that way. You had the working junkie love thing happening. Oh man, it was totally like people hated us being together, and there was all kinds of drama and. Back then, we didn't have Facebook. They'd write about it in the weekly newspaper, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, so, you, so what's the, what does getting clean look like? Like, what, you, went, you moved to Kansas City, you were still using. I, I find it interesting also that your two home bases are Kansas City and New Orleans, basically, which are two big dope towns, right? Kansas City was where, was where Miles cleaned up, and New Orleans is, uh, you know, New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans is the great thing about New Orleans is there's so many junkies and alcoholics that it's a great place to clean up because there's a huge recovery community there. And like all the old timing musicians that I play with, you know, I'm becoming an old time musician myself. But they got the great stories. Like this drummer I play with is like, oh yeah, when Philly Joe Jones would come to town, I would I would just go knock on the door and he wouldn't even say hello. He'd just stick out a hand for the heroin, you know. 
That's like you I know, think I think that, that stories that, in, in that Miles. Miles drummer. Yeah, I think that stories in Miles' book too. The 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 Philly Joe lick or something, right? Is like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and Johnny Vadakovich. You know, I would just be hearing these stories in the back of the van. But you know, all the musicians in New Orleans that were live are the ones that quit doing dope. So it became really obvious to me, like, and plus missing music, missing gigs, man. I love music so much. It was just like. Uh, I, I need to either just be a full-time junkie and be on the street or play music. So I was lucky. I had music, but I did what it took to get back to playing music. And that's been my guiding light. That and jogging. Nice. What was the transition like, though? Like, how long did it take you to be on the other side of it? Well, um, so, like, 93 was the first time I tried to clean up for whip real because some bad shit went down on a weekend of gigs, five day hallucinatory. I don't even know what was in the shit I tried, but my skin melted off. Then I was awake for five days and George Clinton was following the van behind the van, just floating and talking to me the whole time. And everyone thought I lost my fucking mind. So I got about 50 days clean and, and narcotics anonymous. And then my brother died, and then I just relapsed for five years. Hmm. And then finally in 98, but, but that time I relapsed, I just kept it. I finally started liking morphine, because that's what everyone was doing here. Morphine, all right? A lot of liquid morphine. So I wasn't doing the shitty heroin that you didn't know what it was. A lot of pharmaceutical-grade heroin. And with the occasional experience here and there. Sort of kept it together, sort of loosely got on methadone and then methadone was the thing that finally made me want to clean up because you know when i'd go on tour they would charge you a hundred bucks for two carryouts and it, this really became obvious to me what a racket the whole thing was i understood at that point what burroughs talked about the dope pyramid you know because you're like i was yelling at the lady in dc where i was copping the methadone and she's like I'm like, why are you charging me a hundred bucks? It'd be cheaper for me to go cop right now than buy two doses for a, you know. And that was the last time I did methadone. That was the worst kick ever. In the clinic, oh yeah, I was on methadone for seven years. In the clinic, in the clinic, they charged you a hundred bucks for two take homes. I never heard of that. Well, no, because I was on tour and I was on the KU Med Clinic. That's where I met Burroughs. You know, I pissed in a cup right after Burroughs. Hold up, hold up. Where? Tell me that. Where did you meet Burroughs? I want to hear the story. I met William S. Burroughs at the Kansas University of Kansas Med Center Methadone Clinic, <laughs> and that was an amazing story. And it's in one of my songs, and it's in my book I'm working on. But I drove. I was turning, and I see Burroughs and his, his manager James Gorham. I'm saying his name wrong. I'm sure. Turn in. I'm like, holy shit, it's Burroughs. And Burroughs gets out with his cane. And he's walking in. <laughs> And Billy Goat toured this band. It was completely spray painted and graffitied out, sort of a cross between hippie and hip hop graffiti shit. And Burroughs, I was right behind him in the clinic. He turned around and goes, Is that your van outside? I was like, Yeah. And I had dreads. And, and then I, he went and peed in the cup, and then I peed in the cup, and he signed Junkie for me. No, I have a signed copy of Naked Lunch. So he probably, probably thought I was a dirty fucking hippie. Didn't want to have anything to do with me, but um, I'm sure he wanted. Was, to, I'm sure he wanted to blow you. But did you have naked lunch in the with you, or how did that happen? 
Well, let me tell you that. So after I knew he was there, and after, you know, I can't remember if I got it before that encounter or afterwards, but everyone, every junkie in town knew that we were on the same methadone clinic as Burroughs. He was such an esteemed, honorable, and privileged junkie that he got a month of carryouts at the clinic. He would come in once a month. So I, the lady said, well, if you would like Mr. Burroughs to sign your book, just leave it here, and the next time he comes in, he'll sign it. Sure enough, I could go find it upstairs. To Mike, all the best. William F. Burroughs. That's so cool. I, I think, I feel like I've read so much about him. I, 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 had, I was under the idea that when he went back to Kansas with, I write James and he doesn't answer my, my messages. I'm trying to get him to come on the show. James Gorahals or however you say his name. Um, but fucking, uh, I always thought that he got clean in Kansas. Was he on methadone until he died in Kansas? He was definitely on methadone until he died because I remember I would, so when I would go in the clinic, I'd be like, how is Mr. Burroughs doing? And this lady who was the uh, nurse, she was so sweet, but she looked like Chet Baker. She had like this skin that like was just like, she looked like Chet Baker's mom, like just the most intense junkie skin. Like she was a junkie too. Right. And she'd be like, Ah, Bill's doing okay, <laughs> but he's been on methadone for so long that the part of his brain that controls the breathing is rotting. And and she would be smoking in there, giving us our cup of juice. Yeah, I don't know how long he's gonna live. And, and then that summer '97, he died at the ripe young age of 83. So he was a winner. Isn't it so amazing that every methadone clinic you go to from coast to coast, it's fucking identical? I mean, the New York City methadone clinic, the accent is so heavy, but like, I'm sure the fucking Kansas methadone clinic, it was pretty similar. It's like straight out of 1978 all day. I'm sure if you go right now, it's the same. Yeah, you know, I jog and there's two methadone clinics that I know of in Kansas City. There's the KU one, but there's the other one right on the way to the to the 18th and Vine Jazz District, where they have a big statue of Charlie Parker. So part of my ritual is running by the the, the methadone clinic, flip, flipping off Charlie Park. I mean, flipping off the methadone clinic, and then getting to Charlie Parker and bowing and saying my prayers to him and thanking him for all the music he gave us. And it's just sort of part of my stay clean ritual, you know? Because I think we need that as junkies. Because that was part of it for me. I had to do, I ain't going to say which one, but I had to like start going to 12-step meetings. And then I had to exercise a bunch because I wanted to do dope just like you did every fucking day. And I would just romanticize it. And, you know, after four years, so I stayed clean from 2000 to 2004. And then with four and a half years clean, I relapsed for about a year. I didn't get a habit going, but I just... Then I was just sort of back and forth. Someone had some, I had to do some, and cleaned up for another eight years. And then in 2013, when I relapsed, at the end of that year, same deal. Didn't get a heroin habit. Just started drinking IPA. He's like a fucking fish. And it was just a whole nother kind of addiction. I re- That was when I finally realized, like, I was... Truly, not just a drug addict, but an alcoholic too. Like you know, more. And you know, I've been off booze now, coming up on two years, so it feels great. You know, and I'm glad I didn't get a habit. But there were a couple times in that drinking period 
where I dabbled and got scared shitless. The dope today scares the fuck out of me. Mm. You know, I didn't fix it, but I was just like, something's not right about this shit, you know? What was the longest gap between the using heroin did you have? Like, what was the longest between using? Well, that four-year period, and then there was another... Another eight year period, and then so you, eight year period. So you didn't use, and, you didn't use for eight years, and then you used again. Yeah, and I and I I did it like I did a dilated once, and I did some heroin once, and then I cleaned up for another eighteen months after that. And then I was like, and that was like by that time it was like two thousand sixteen. I was like, I'm just gonna be a drinker, and then I really got into drinking from like two thousand sixteen until two thousand nineteen. The summer of 2019, and I got the bright idea the summer of 2019 when I was drunk to snort some white drugs. I'll leave them nameless, but I was all of a sudden that 50 year old guy thinking he was having a heart attack. And I was like, fuck that shit. I just proved to myself. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You just told me you're ripping up carpets to find needles. You're fucking doing methadone behind burrows. Why is this white powder nameless now? Well, you know, I mean, I like to keep a few things mystery. <laughs> you like to be a little bit mysterious. That's great. Um, well, no, put it this way. There are two white powders we know about. I got you. And, I got- and, and it wasn't cocaine. Was it? You told me when we talked on the phone to not ask you about, about, about the other one. <laughs> Is that why? Okay, and I'll, I'll get into it. Like, see, see, I stopped fantasizing about heroin, but I would think about fucking snorting speed, man. Like, that was the only thing I would Jones for. Heroin's all loaded with fentanyl, you know? And, and when I would relapse back in the late 90s, I would, all, you know, I would always relapse on, from speed. And then to come down from the speed, I would do heroin. And then I would start doing heroin every day. Because once you start doing heroin, then you want to get it the next day. I never did speed every day. Speed was always my gateway drug back to relapsing. And... What the fuck? I might as well be honest. Like, so one thing I did have on this last relapse, so was a, a bottle of liquid opium that some billionaire gave us. Hold up, so, hold up, hold up, hold up. Where does that happen? How does that happen? Well, no, it's like th- this shit's so old, it's not even illegal. It's like pre Harrison Narcotics Act. So I had a bottle of just a tincture that I would do like that I put in a valerian root bottle and I wouldn't travel with it just when I was home. I would do a few drops with my fucking beer occasionally. Same deal. Like, I didn't want to get strung out, and I never got, like, a nod from it. But then all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, wow, this is weird. I can't shit. Right. You know, and then you, like, go on tour and be shitting again. So, you know, the point is being, like, I start drinking. Just I start slowly inching my way back to dope. And probably... Okay, so yeah, now that I think about it, I probably ate Oxycontins 10 or 12 times when I said I was just drinking. You know, it's just like I wasn't shooting every day. But someone, I, you know, we did a lot of Ween after shows. I'm friends with Dean Ween. You know, the next thing you know, those Ween fans are insane. I love them to death. I, I got handed a whole handful of Dilaudids. By Ween fans. By, at a Ween after show. So yeah, there's that. For a week, I ate Dilaudids. It was you know? No, I get. I mean, I, I had I had a period where I was trying not to use whatever, and I was I was 
smoking a little bit of weed. And if anybody ever showed up with some pills, I would take the pills and, and uh, I would take Percocets or whatever. Whatever anybody would bring, I would take. And, um, and I would always think about the dope because I was feeling a little bit. You know what I mean? And finally, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get some. And it had been like four years. And I, and I shot some dope and I didn't feel it. And then I shot some more. And it was so strong. Like, I was like, I couldn't handle it. It was too, it was way too strong. I felt like it was like the devil raping me, like just bad. You know what I mean? Like I'd have to condition myself to handle it. What was it like for you when you took those kinds of breaks? Like, like. Same deal. Like, so now we're looking at the math of it. Like, you know how a junkie's brain work. Like I only, in, in the 2000s, I only shot up three times. Once in 2005 when I relapsed and twice in that relapse period, somewhere between 2015, 2000, it was in the 2014 range. And that scared the shit out of me. It was too strong. When I, I only shot heroin once, I puked all day long in the van. All, just puked all day long. And I was never a puker. You know, it just didn't feel right. So at that point, I was, but what, the problem is whenever you have the pills in your hand, like when I had those Dilaudid, I was like, well, are these really good Dilaudid? Maybe I should go score some needles and fix them, but maybe I'll get over sick. Nah, too much trouble. I don't want to start shooting again. I'll just eat them, you know? Totally. And nowadays it's all fentanyl pressed pills anyway. It's crazy. I know. And that's why I'm so scared of it. You know, I'm just literally like glad I got out before the fentanyl. When you find- I shot a fentanyl patch once in the 90s. You ever done a pure fentanyl patch? No. Just describe what you had to do to do it. So you got the patch, you cooked it down, and you got the liquid out, just like if you wanted to cook a methadone shot, you know, same sort of process, you reduce it. I never, shot, I never shot a methadone shot. I never even oh, knew that was a thing. Cook down our methadone whenever they give us a take-home, and then you pull out the, the – you get the big giant ones that you have to use for shooting morphine pills. Same deal. be tons of filler. So you press it all out, and you get a whole cigarette filter. Uh, <laughs> God, you, you take it's the removable needles, not like the little I know what you're talking about, yeah. needles, but those big ones. Take the thing off, suck all the stuff in, try to not get any powder in, and then you do that morphine or that methadone. It was like bliss. And then with the with the fentanyl, we did the same process. I've only overdosed twice. I hit the fucking ground, and my friends had to save me from dying. But I remember on that fentanyl, I was like, I'm crossing over. This is it. It was like, went out to that place you go when you overdose. Right. That's insane. Um, so how did you start, like, embracing sobriety? Like, what happened? Like, what changed? Um, and did it actually happen? Or do you still, like, are, are you still, like, daydreaming about the, the beauty of drugs? I sometimes will, will have thoughts about, about some drugs here and there. But, like, I'm pretty content in my sobriety because I fucked up my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, where are you at with it, and, and when did it change, and how did it change? Well, I'm definitely not romanticizing it. You know, I mean, the first four years from 2000 to 2004, I thought about doing drugs every fucking day. It was my right. I'm a fucking musician. But I knew it was ruining my career. So I just always like music first, music first, and just fake it till you make it. Don't think about the drugs. And eventually I would give in. And then I was sober for eight years and did tons of AA and NA. And the thing is, 
that 2014 to 2019, where I was going back and forth, a couple of year and a half periods of total sobriety in there. Whenever I would relapse and fuck up, I didn't want to be the textbook guy that went all the way back to like losing everything, losing your career and overdose and dying. So I really fought hard to control it. So it just wasn't really fun. I mean, beer was fun because everyone drinks beer. You just hang out. And as long as I did that, it was fine. So part of me was thinking it was working until, of course, you're around one of your friends who has the drugs and they give them to you. Then you go crazy and you do them and you nearly die or whatever. You know, a really funny story was after a show in wherever, wherever, that someone was laying out lines and I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm pretty drunk. I'll just do a little big one. It won't hurt me. And then the kid goes, what? You don't want to do a bigger one? You afraid you're going to die, old man? <laughs> kid in my I was like, fuck you. You know, it just wasn't fun. It was like stupid things like that. So... What, but, 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 but I don't know what your program of recovery is. If you were just one of those dudes that they will quit dope and stay off of it. But I had to keep testing the waters. And each time I just realized it doesn't work at all. So I think this time around, I finally just don't have any revelation. I, I mean, any reservations. I'm not romancing it. I know like my heart's too damaged. My body's too damaged. To fucking get blasted and stay up for three days, freaking out. Uh, fentanyl scares the hell out of me. I just, I really accept that shit doesn't work for me anymore. It may work for other people, but it is. I got to a place where, where I was just like, I knew I, I had a kid and I knew that I wasn't going to get higher than I had ever been. And I was, I was just treading water and I was just miserable, miserable. Uh, and and I lost my my kid. You know what I mean? Like right. my, my family left me, and I and I mean I had never had any clean time really between I don't know twenty two and and forty one. Just drips and drabs. Maybe I had I had a year at, at thirty nine or thirty eight or something. But like at the end of it, I was just like I just was willing to do whatever I could do to try to find a different life because I because it took me so long to to be okay in my skin. You know what I'm saying? Like it took me forever to feel okay without the stuff. Um, yeah. And, and I was shocked that it ever felt better. You know, when did, did you have that kind of experience or you had enough times that you were quitting over the course of the times that you knew that you could live without it? Yeah. I mean, the music was always so good, especially, and maybe that's part of the cycle. Like whenever I would clean up, I would make three records, you know, right. Or I, I you know, once you clean up, I got addicted to that going back and forth thing. Cause all of a sudden you clean up and after a few days of feeling like shit, the world was like a beautiful acid trip. Right. So, but it's not worth it doing that anymore. But yeah, it's just like you, it's like things are just so much better and easier. Sometimes it may not be better, but you're not going to get any higher. Like if, if, if you really like want some advice about dope, that first time it's great. Take it from me. It's never going to be as good as that first. Maybe like the first time I shot up, it was fucking amazing. 
And then after that, I felt like I was just chasing that high. I know that's a cliche, but it's sort of true, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, I was going to make a stupid joke. But say the first three years, were that was pretty good for the first three years of it. And after that, it all falls apart. Um, no, but of course, of course. But, but like you just, the misery really comes up after repeating yourself over and over for, you know, forever. That's when it, that's when misery really comes through. And that's when also like, it's not sustainable. You know, that's the thing that I would always be thinking. Like, there is no way I can sustain this. It is impossible. And that's when, that was the first time I ever thought about getting well. But you had a different situation than I had in that you're a really talented musician on tour uh, with fans and heroes and legends, and you're hanging in there, and and everyone's getting fucked up. So how do you deal with that as a profession and, and especially around, like, you're around the jammy scene and you're around the punk rock scene, but the jam scene is, like, rife with substances, every kind. Like, so well, how do you... the jam scene is, seems like there's way more... I mean, I was hanging around with punk rockers in the 80s, but um, the jam scene is completely loaded with drugs. You know, I didn't even... And, you know, and the thing about it is once I clean up, I get pretty oblivious to who's on dope. Who cares, who's right? Not, right, know? it doesn't even matter. We, you know, you sort of turn off that thing that when you're using, you're like, oh, he's got dope. Right, right. He's got dope. Right. You know, uh, but yeah, you, you're nailing it. I mean, I mean, the only thing I romanticize anymore is fucking a beer. You know, I don't know if you're total, sub, to, if you still smoke weed or. No, I'm total totally, sober. totally abstinent. You're 100% sober, dude? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I, I got to be that because, I, you know. It always started, you know, I've done enough work to know it always starts with beer and I've tried to make beer work. And I love beer. That's like the only thing I miss. But if I drink beer, I'm going to make a stupid decision because I haven't ever like been like this, like sober and like, oh, let's do some cocaine. You know, it's just, you always like have a few beers in you. Right. I mean, I like partying. I love drugs. I mean, I'm a junkie. I'm an addict. But... <laughs> It's just not worth it. You nailed it. It's not sustainable. Like, okay, that's what I want to talk about. Like, yeah, I'm, I make music. I get paid gig money. But you got to really have, like, Keith Richards money or, like, be a really wealthy actor. And even look at our man from New York, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the most gifted actor. They still found him with, what, like, 800 bags of dope in his apartment? Something crazy like that. It's not it's sustainable crazy. for anybody. I mean, like, nobody can do it. Uh, you either, you, I mean, look at poor Sly Stone, like the most brilliant American musician in the history of, like, America. They don't make Sly Stones anymore. He's still just doing whatever he's doing. It's like, it's in, did you see the, just to change the topic for a second, did you see the documentary Tear the Roof Off the Sucker? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. It's basically a documentary that supposes George Clinton enslaved Parliament Funkadelic on crack. Yeah, that's the movie. And they all are just coming out against George that he enslaved them on crack. It's insane. So that's a real documentary. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. You should check it out. It'll blow your mind. It'll fuck you up. It's fucked okay, up. Okay, and then I'm going to give you one before I have to split. Have you watched Tales from the Tour Bus? No, what is that? That's Mike Judge's story about, like, it starts off going... Well, back in 1989, NWA was being subpoenaed on Capitol Hill due to the likes of Tipper Gore and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, Johnny Paycheck was on trial 
for murdering someone. And it just goes into like all the country legends. And you realize like all the country legends did lots of cocaine and killed someone or shot someone. And it's incredible. You know, it's all like, it's all animated though. And it's just them in the tour bus telling stories, George Jones, you know, um, Waylon Jennings, he gets two episodes. I'll check it out. George Jones is incredible. You gotta watch it. You'll love it. It's like the best thing I watched this summer. I'll check you know, it that out. That and Midnight Gospels. I didn't see that one. I didn't. That's that crazy psychedelic one, right? I didn't see that one. Yeah, you know, it's all about meditation and transcendence, and you know, Norwood Fisher from Fishbone has become a good friend of mine over the past years. He's played with me. He's hardcore sober. He's been sober for many years now. And that's the other thing. I have to surround myself with musicians that are like positive, transcending, you know? Absolutely. And, and like I was thinking about that when I was listening to you on Up Full Life also. You were talking about how you use music as, as an antidote for the bad stuff. And I, I'm, I'm like a terrible musician, but I used to do that. And I, and I haven't been playing. I've been, I've been putting a lot of energy into the podcast and, uh, and other stuff. But it, it just inspired me. Like, you just put out three records. You're a sick vibraphone player. Like, you're really good. Like, I was listening to you today, and I have a little playlist of, of jazz music that I like to play jazz music when I, uh, when I do my catering shit. And it's all, like, my favorite stuff is, like, that old Louis Armstrong live stuff and, and then that Miles stuff, the Miles stuff, the kind of blue era, and, like, you know, like Dexter Gordon and whatever. I'm always looking for something to add. Or the Ray Brown or the Ray Charles uh, Milt Jackson record. Have you heard that record? Oh, so good. Soul Brothers. I love yeah. that record. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. There's a song on there that's totally like Billy Joel stole it for New York State of Mind. Do you hear that song? It's fucked yeah. up. It's really interesting, actually. But your vibraphone playing is like fucking great. I'm going to add you to my, my Miles Davis playlist. So that's something. Thank you, brother. That's Thank pretty cool. You, and, dude, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really, really, really uh, I love talking to you. I think this has been really interesting. And, and yeah, I, I got sober with 12-step, and I, I meditate and pray and do all that shit every day, you know? Cool. Well, uh, we should stay in touch because that's what I got to do, and it works, you know? And uh, I just try to, like keep the anonymity part respectful in these pod podcasts you know 12 step absolutely but you can say 12 step and and like you're 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 like uh you're the loophole of anonymity if you say 12 step um 12 step yeah 12 step saved my life brother yeah me too mike i really appreciate your time uh you have my number please stay in touch and i'll do the same oh dude awesome. here's the big request okay okay it is what it is you have five minutes or no yep tell a fucked up drug story first Oh, I thought that's what we've been doing. No, just one specific one that you used to tell or something. You got any left? Yeah, let's think about which one I want to do. Um, well, God, there's, there's so many of them. But I don't know if I've told this one. They're playing the bottleneck in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. And... We were off dope and not getting high. It was the comeback of Billy Goat, the band I told you about. And, um, but of course, the club owner knew we had heroin problems. So I guess his bright idea to keep us from like running off and getting drugs, because there was the one time I ran off and was late coming back because I went and did, uh, there was no heroin in Lawrence, but there was all these cocaine. So I shot a bunch of coke and flopped out on the floor. 
And they said I just sprung to. I was like, all right, I got a gig to go after they all thinking I was dead. And I just went and went right on stage and played to 500 people. But this night, the club owner's like, I'm going to keep them. They're not going to get away. So he shows up with two bottles of Jägermeister. And I just got probably one of the only times I ever got blackout drunk. So I'm blacked out. I'm just remember on stage having fun, probably sucking horribly, sloppy <laughs> drunk. And we're, we had this song in Billy Oak called Everybody Take Your Clothes Off. And it was like our little stick. And we would get naked. We'd be jumping around. And we're doing Take Your Clothes Off. And I guess I thought I was about to rip a fart. And the next thing I know, I... I'm shitting all over the stage with like 500 people. I get the fucking runs. Chim, my wife, was hitting me. She's like, motherfucker. Like, the, everyone's like, ah, disgusted. Total Gigi Allen bullshit. Yeah. But not intentional, just yes. accidental. Yes. So I get back home, you know, Monday I get a call from my British manager who was up in New York, worked for International Talent Group, you know. Their main client was Pink Floyd. And down at the bottom of all the hundreds of people was Billy Goat. Like, we're the bottom of the roster, but still. That's amazing. I'm with, I'm with Pink Floyd, mate. Amazing. So, and David Bowie, too, mate. Like, all these, he calls me, he's got his British accent. He's like, so, Mikey, everyone called me Mikey back then. Mikey, I, I talked to Brett Mosman from the bottom end. <laughs> he said, you shat on stage. And he just starts cracking up. He's like, well, he's not very happy with you right now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so, so funny. That's great. Thank you for that. That's perfect, perfect, perfect story. That's a great so, story. So, yeah, I walk, I, I walk around Kansas City, and, like, every now and then still, someone will be like, oh, it's the mad shitter. <laughs> they still know you from that. Yeah, bro. Like, my, my fucking five minutes. That's it. Well, that's amazing. And I'm sure your book is going to be bananas. I, I, I believe I in you, Mike. It. I'm sure that's it's good stories. It's going to be bananas. My other request, I feel stupid to even ask, but if you have time and you're interested in making a one-minute dopey song, um, like a jingle, like I play it on the show all the time. Cool. Why don't you let me record one for you and I'll make one? That sounds so good. Mike, thank I'll you so much, man. That'll be awesome. Uh, I really, really, really appreciate you. You were legendary interview. I really appreciate it. I loved it. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Great to meet you. You See too, there, man. brother. Be well. Bye. That was awesome, brother. Wasn't that good? Yeah, I'm going to go take a Tabo lesson now. My Tabo teacher is in India. I'm going to FaceTime. Like, go do it. Michael, why were you so late? I'll be like, uh, I was talking about drugs. No, <laughs> no, go. Go play Tabo. So, so anyway, cool. nice I'll talk to you soon. Be well. So that was Mike Dillon. I thought he was awesome. I think he w had a really good sense of humor and was super fun, and uh, it was a good vibe. Yeah, I watched some of his videos, but his band was like bigger than I thought. He has like ten bands. Ten bands, but then like I can't remember the name. Like he has Billy Goat. Billy Goat. They were big. Garage Atois. He has the Dead Kenny G's. He has <laughs> fucking Mike Dillon and the Bad Decisions. He has Mike Dillon something something. Yeah, it was something. Billy Goat. I may have even seen Billy Goat. Like, they were in my world, and they oh, have yeah. a, they have a lot of videos up. The Bad Decisions is a great name for a band. I think. I mean, I don't love Garage Atois as a name for a band, but it's funny. And the Dead I Kenny G's. The, I don't get Garage Atois. It's like Menage Atois. Oh, like a garage okay. band. I can't believe you don't get that. <laughs> I didn't get it. It's like, oh my god. Anyway, I thought he was great. I love. Um, 
I like stories about musicians touring on dope because I, I always want to hear about and how you cop like every city. I always want to hear about how you cop in every city, and I'm always looking for those like espionage stories. But what we always get instead is, well, we just wound up playing half the shows dope sick. Like yeah, that's what I, that's what you wind up getting. Right. I thought Courtney Love had the best one. She would call a hooker like an escort, a female escort, and say, bring drugs, and it always worked. Oh, that's smart. That sounds like a good that's one. That's expensive. I wonder if Courtney Love is ever going to come on the show to tell that story. What do you think? I think she'll eventually be on the show. You think so? She'll grow so desperate for somebody to listen to her that she will come to Dopey. She'll come crawling to Dopey. She'll come crawling to Dopey? <laughs> yes, crawling to Please, let me. I want to be famous again. She, listen, Courtney Love, we have an open door policy. And one of the great, Ray, Ray had a lot of suggestions for how to increase listenership. And one of my favorite uh, Ray Brown suggestions was Dopey Attacks. And, oh, Dopey Attacks, Courtney Love. Well, Dopey reaching out to Courtney Love might not be a terrible thing. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read an email. Do you want to read it or you want me to read oh, Wait, it? you didn't talk about Burroughs on Methadone. Yeah, you talk about that. was just, you know, I was stupidly thought Burroughs was out there in Kansas sober with James Rauru, and he was doing methadone, and then he was doing heroin on the Bowery at the bunker where he lived with John Giorno. I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing everything in Kansas. Every time I read... Do you think James Rauru was doing... James Goran Halals? Was doing dope... (laughs) I feel like I used to know, and I don't think... I thought they were going to AA meetings out there. I, I One of the things about me was that every time I would go to detox or rehab, I would bring memoirs, like uh, drug memoirs yeah. with me. And um, I read memoirs about Burroughs, and I read Burroughs' memoirs. I read like the biographies about Burroughs, and I read Junkie, which I thought was the best memoir. And... Um, when they talked about him calming down and moving to Kansas, I think he taught at the University of Kansas. Yeah. Uh, I assumed he got sober. But I think that when you're in rehab and you're in detox and somebody leaves New York to go someplace to take a job, you're kind of just hoping that they get sober. And as a heroin addict who is a methadone addict, you're kind of hoping that William Burroughs got sober. Yeah. Because it makes you getting sober more palatable. You know, um, It's funny. But uh, so I always assumed he got sober too. Uh, but as soon as Mike Dillon said he saw him, you know, pissing in the methadone <laughs> clinic or whatever, it didn't it didn't surprise me right. at all. Um, so I got an email. You want to read it? Or you yeah, want me to? Email I want it? you to read it. Right. I also have a story. You want to hear my 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 stupid story, or do you want to hear? Uh, Is it your story or a story? Well, it's my story. Um, have I heard it before? No, it's not a dopey story. It's a it's a post dopey story. Let's hear the let's hear the the email. You've you've, you've decided to you've decided no, we'll to hear, hear both. The, we'll hear both. No, no, no. I have an idea. I have an idea. Let's save. I'm going to save the story. I've got yeah. bad news for you, Uh-oh. but we're going to save that story for this week's episode of Patreon that we're going to do on video that you're going to be in. When are we doing that? As soon as we're done with oh, this. Oh, jeez. It'll be quick. Very cool. I look terrible. I think you look pretty great. You look like a Mennonite Eric Clapton. <laughs> All right. Hi, Dave. I'm Or, which means light in Hebrew, and I've been listening to Dopey for the past year or so. I first found it when I looked up addiction on my podcast app, and I have been hooked ever since. 
While I myself have never been a hard drug user, I've been addicted to various other substances and behaviors. In a way, fighting addiction is a life-defining experience for me, even if it's slightly different than what I usually hear on Dopey. I've been addicted to weed, alcohol, coffee, tobacco, eating disorders, intimacy, etc. There's basically not a thing I can do or engage with that I don't take to the extreme. And that's a daily struggle. It's like you, right? You and YouTube and you know what, 69ing frontline workers. Anyway, listening to your podcast is such a comfort to me. I relate to the stories so much in their core and often feel like that could have easily been my story had I not had the support circle I have, which keeps me together. That's what you need, Ray. Support circle. I have that. All right, good. Um, Even if I myself have never done hard stuff, I've witnessed some of my friends go down that road. The opioid epidemic somehow managed to skip Israel. That's weird, which I'm very thankful for. But we do have other bad stuff, specifically in the LGBTQ community that I'm a part of. People often find themselves struggling with addiction, rehab, and recovery. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for thank you for Dopey from the bottom of my heart. It isn't trivial that you've continued doing it with after Chris had passed. Also know that you have quite the crowd here in Israel. We might not show on your stats because we usually don't download podcasts, but listen to them through apps. But this Passover, there's going to be a bunch of Israeli Jews listening to Dopey over a, a matzo ball soup and gefilte fish. By the way, I also love Choco Leibniz, and I love the way you pronounce it, so please keep saying it as much as possible. Toodles for Chris and for Todd and everyone you've lost on your journey. Each and every one of those souls is special and cherished. Lots of love. Stay weird and awesome. Love, Or and the Israeli crowd. This is the most amazing email ever. Why? Right, we're, we're going to Israel on the Dopey World so Tour So you're now. back on the Dopey World Tour. And we have to not have our passport stamped there, though. Let me ask you a question, and, and you're going to have to be honest with me here. In this hiatus period where you fled the Dopey Nation Facebook group, you don't want to talk about the stuff that happened, which I respect, and we can move on. However, in that period of time, was the Dopey World Tour... Gone from your brain. I don't think the Dopey World Tour is real. Well, but is the fa- was the fantasy still the alive? The fantasy is still there, yeah. So the fantasy is alive no matter what. I don't what. think you and I could travel for more than two days and get along. Why not? I, can you imagine you and I traveling for two weeks? Let me just tell you something about But I like myself. stopping in Israel. I get along with everybody. It's you who would turn on me. You turned on me in like five hours on the West Virginia trip. <laughs> I didn't turn on you. You turned on me. How did I turn on you? It seems like you're not coming to Park City, Utah with that attitude. Nope. You don't want to go to Park City? <laughs> no, I'll go. I'll go, yeah. But no turning on Dave on the trip. <laughs> okay? We're going to have like the uh, the swear jar where every time you say 69 a cop, you put a dollar into the I'm swear jar. I'm not the jar. one 69ing <laughs> cops, Ray. It's not me. And, and I, listen, say what you want. But I promise you, the next time that you 69 a frontline worker, I will hear about it. And you can't. No, you won't. You you will never hear anything about my sex life again. You cannot resist. You (laughs) cannot. And it's irresistible. So, And that's why the material is good, regardless of what the Ray Brown contingency out there in Dopey Land might be. I'm just excited about Israel. So now you want to travel with me to the land of milk and honey. Yes. Okay. Because we were going to fly from like Slovenia to Laos. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> For the number one podcast in Slovenia. Ah, I don't think that was true. I think that and El Salvador seemed like a stretch yeah. to me. Um, you want to hear a voicemail? Yeah. Here, listen to this. Hello, Dave. Just finished uh, episode 288, and I uh, really enjoyed it. You know, I've really been thinking about, you know, why I connect to this podcast so much is because, uh, you know, while I'm in recovery, I've uh, been clean 12 years now, um, and uh, I really dig the song. And uh, this week uh, you played the banjo version, and I've heard it one time before, and, uh, you know, I really, really enjoy that version. But, hey, you know, in this theme of alt-recovery, I think it'd be really cool if uh, you, you know, had some atheists getting clean and staying clean, uh, you know, in recovery on your program. Uh, it's, uh can be pretty lonely out here for us atheists, non-believer types, uh, but, you know, you can uh, <clears throat> find recovery and stay clean without the G-O-D. Um, but, uh, you know, it'd be great to maybe even have a recurring segment once a month, you know, with about 15 minutes with somebody spiritually challenged, so to speak. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. You know what amazes me about this show? What? That everybody that listens to it thinks they should be making the show. Yeah. Have a 15-minute spiritual segment every week, and I should be on it. You should replace Ray with, with this guy. Have this guy. Can't you get this guest? It's like, motherfuckers, start your own goddamn fucking atheist podcast. Yep. There are a lot of atheist meetings in New York City. Listen, this podcast, I'm just changing the name right now to... Atheist? God, no, God Dopey. God, God so loves now, you. God loves you. Jesus loves you, Dopey. Um, I no. think this guy's going to hell. Well, listen, they're all going to hell. And you know who but else is I've going to I've been to hell? meetings outside of New York where it's like a fucking church service, though, where it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And there are, there are meetings in New York that are like that, too. Oh, yeah. But um, I just want to say thank you for the voicemail, first of all. Second Sorry of all, we attacked you. No, I'm not. No, I feel <laughs> I feel comfortable with that. Secondly, it's like for me. We're sorry, you're going to hell. I've I think I have an atheist approach to godliness. Like my God isn't like a fucking dude hanging out. My God is the universe. Yeah, I'm my, a, I'm an atheist. My God is love. I'm an atheist that believes in God. I'm an atheist that uses God as a tool. I believe that doing the next right thing is actually God. That's my latest thing. That, like, I know that when I'm not fucking up, that's God. I know that the love that I feel for you, even though you turn on me at the drop (laughs) of a dime, which isn't God, what I feel is God. Is that the devil? The devil in me. Listen, I'm 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 not here to explore your devil thing. Your issues. How, why would you turn on me in two days? When did I turn on you? You just said if we went on the dopey tour, you'd turn on me in two days. Oh, three days. You, yeah, I, you said I would turn on you. You would. I don't turn. I don't. I, when have I, I was just imagining I, in the history of our friendship. In the history, have I ever turned on you? No. But when I drew that line across the world, when I was drawing that on my computer, I'm like, oh my god, to go with Dave to like Laos and Cambodia. You would be fucking privileged to take that trip. I don't think you're looking at this correctly. And speaking of atheists, I'd like to welcome back my favorite atheist to the show. Yeah. He's uh, locked it. You, you locked him in his he's room. He's sequestered in my bedroom. Hold on. 
my old childhood bedroom. So I just introduced you as my... Why are you wearing the mask? You're vaccinated. Uh, Yes, but doesn't mean I can't give it to you guys or... Doesn't it? No, no. I'm I'm protected, but doesn't mean that you guys are... I need you to sit closer to the mic. And I I think you need to take the mask off because nobody's going to... You sound like... Do I sound better better now? Yes. Um, but I'm glad you're going to give COVID to the great Ray Brown. My dad took off the mask. And Ray, ju- Ray jumped up to head for the hills. Five percent. All right. So welcome back to the show, Dad. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We um, just had an atheist uh, guy in recovery saying that we should do a 15-minute spirituality segment every other week about atheism. Uh, atheism is something that you could do without having spiritual meetings about it. I mean, listen, uh, I, I think what you said about atheism to me before made a heck of a lot of sense. What did I say? You said you said it is what you believe in, is what you, you your belief in God is the same kind of thing. It's just so were a, you listening to the show from the room back there? After no. I closed two doors, you're still listening? No, I remember you were saying something about that before. Listen, the idea the idea of believing in something that isn't true is something that always bothered me. If in fact something helps people and they don't hurt anybody else, that's great. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Right. Now, I, I just realized something. I think in my life, the amount that you listen to Dopey is the most you've ever listened to me in our whole lifetime. <laughs> does, that, does that boggle your senses? I don't want to say anything bad, but maybe it wasn't worth listening to you some before. <laughs> well, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about 46 years. Listen, I, I have had many, many conversations with you before, uh, before that was very, very good conversations. You have to admit, you're listening to a lot more of me now than you used to. I'm, try- I'm trying to, to support you on this venture. I am. I'm really trying to help you out. Now, before we get to my favorite part of the show, which is the criticism section, yes. I want to I share this story with Ray really quick. I hadn't seen my dad in a long time. Yeah, I just got home from he just, Florida. He, just got, he drove back from Florida. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he shows me this box of cereal he bought, which is named after a Miami Heat player called Harrow. It's called Harrow Hoops. Wait What's a minute, wait a minute. Pronounce it Tyler Hero. That's how the guy... But they don't spell it like that. Well, his spell, he spells his last name He H-E- just wants to be a heroic, but exactly. H-E-R-R-O is not hero. Well, that's how he pronounces it, I believe. If I'm... you're going to get a hero sandwich, how do they spell it? H-E-R-O. So H-E-R... It doesn't... Anyway... So he comes back with 12 boxes of Tyler Hero cereal. Well, it turns out that it's 10 boxes, but that's an exaggeration. He told me 12. No, wait a minute. He bought them. Oh, there is 12. He said that they want, they're clamoring for the cereal on eBay. They're collectibles. They're selling them for $12 a box. And guess how much my dad paid for it? 33 cents. 33 cents a box. He's looking at a big, big payoff. This is such a joke. It really is funny. He says Tyler Hero is playing terribly. His name is worthless right now. I dropped him off my fantasy basketball The best part about the story is my dad says maybe next winter he'll drive down to the Heat Arena and sell his boxes of cereal outside. No, I'm going to get some kid down there. He can make a few bucks, not me. It won't be me. This is where we know that the, the, the years... The real question the, is... The time in the sun. <laughs> no, wait a minute. The real question is, do I eat the cereal that's in the box and sell them an empty box? You would never in a million years do that. Or you'd sell it as an empty box. It's a collectible. If anybody knows anything about collector's items, the second you open the box, it's over. 
Oh, all right. Well, Especially Tyler Hero cereal. One one box is already in the mix right now. He's he's <laughs> at it and and it? it's yes. in his cereal mix. He eats the collector's items. Now, Dad, what's in your mix right now? Everybody wants to know. And, and Dopey Nation, if you don't know, my father goes to the supermarket. He finds whatever cereal. He has two pieces of criteria in making his cereal mix. One is that they're on sale, and that the other is that each serving has less than 110 calories. Yeah, no, it turns out that they're changing things. Now you can't even find that. There's like 140 or 150 calories. So what's in the mix, Dad? I think that, well, I don't know what's there. I haven't been here in months. But the key is fiber. I think fiber and uh, So you added, just, you just dumped in Tyler Hero cereal. Yes. In, so you can show them What does Tyler Hero uh, taste like? It's Fruit Loops. As he, they call it Hoop Loops. All right, let's get back to the yeah, more... Yeah, why don't we do the more criticizing the show part? Criticize the <laughs> no, show. You've no. been listening for months. You haven't been on in a bit. Ta- let's hear what you have to say. Well, there's been a lot of very interesting stuff. How about the Ray Brown-Ryan Leone controversy? I, well, it's not. It's no controversies. I mean, look, when they put this LOL in front of something, isn't that humorous? I mean... Yeah. I Who mean, put LOL? I, mean, I think it was a moron term, the term moron, and he wrote LOL, Ray is a moron, something like that. <gasps> wow. Anyway, it was a joke. I mean, I don't always ever... I didn't I've see been, again. I mean, you say it all the time behind your back. No, that's not true either. No, listen. every conversation I have, he says, "Raise a moron." LOL. <laughs> you see, again, that's that's this fake news stuff. Oh, I don't know what it's fake news and it's nonsensical, etc. But you're saying some serious stuff about alternative recovery movement, and everybody is pretty much agreeing that that you should do anything possible to stay healthy as long as you are healthy. But it's a little scary for some people, like my son, maybe, about this marijuana business. Because there's no way, no way that that could work for you in terms of that. There's, there's every way it could work. No way. Let's just deal with reality. It's never worked in the past. What reality says is this. Reality says that it could work, that I could smoke weed and listen to the Allman Brothers and, and hang out and get high all the time and enjoy my life finally yeah, for let's, a change. Let's do that when um, you're 90. And then um, not relapse on heroin and pills and whatever. Shush. It's very possible. I'm not going to check it out because what if it doesn't work? Well, the, I'm and not Because interested. you know about the odds, right? You, you know, in terms of... of, of I'm not doing it. You know, somebody just posted on Reddit that they worry that I'm going to come out smoking weed. Yeah. that I'm Was pretty, it you? Was it you who posted on Reddit? <laughs> well, I should have been the one who posted it. But that woman, Jessica Kent, Uh-oh. when she when she was saying how she is taking marijuana for, for very specific reasons, you know, depression or, or, or sleep problems, and then she says, as soon as it's going to get worse, I'm going to go see my psychiatrist. I think that in some cases it'll be not the case when somebody has has the the ability to go get help when it's it's too late for them already. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you're saying that she could wind up relapsing, right. die, and Before never get she, to see the psychiatrist. Exactly. Well, you, I'll give you her phone number. You can give her some Jewish no. guilt. You can give her a shot. No, of no. Guilt. I think she sounded very, very smart in the sense saying that for her it was a very wise decision. So what for is, you, I don't think it would be listen, a wise decision. I, I'm not. I'm not entertaining the, the the concept. I am very happy with my life the way it is. I'm not interested. I, I fucking come. I, I get to the house this morning, starving to death. 
And I go and I go to the stupid uh, deli on 24th Street, which used to be a beautiful deli. And I'm standing there like because I'm keto. I'm trying to figure out what to get. And I'm looking into the salad bar and I'm like, that doesn't look that good. But I'm hungry. So I pick a few things that don't look that bad. And I come up here. Fucking $10 salad. I take a bite. I'm like, ugh. This is disgusting. And I, I and my I'm gonna throw it out. My dad goes, You can't throw that away. Put it in the fridge. I'll eat it later. Well, I, I'm not so sure I'm gonna eat it later. But but David, I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna get into a fight with them. You for you. Get into a fight. I'm gonna say my dad said I should take this back. Well, you could tell them that it's if it's not good, it's not good. Now, do you have any other criticism? Well, the, the guy who did the he does a five star review and he said he, here, yeah. Here, I mean, here. you can read it. I can't see. You here, you can put your glasses on because I have another review for you to read as well. I, well, anyway, but then he says Dan, right? I really only listen to the old episode. Sorry, Dan. So I hope Dan is, is Dan is me. I listen. In the old days, somebody criticized the show and called me Dan. That was a thing from back in the day. Oh, um, really, I don't remember that. The the review says, better with Chris. I really only listen to the old episodes. Sorry, Dan. Um, that's a tough review. But I think he did it just so that we talk about it on the show. Well, what do you think? He, he also pulled it down, then put it up and pulled it down. He's sort of... he's, he's Viola he, dollar sign 13 has been lurking for a long yeah, time. He, he, this is an old one. This is a very, very old one. L- listen, Here, I, read this one. You, you like reading good ones, right? I, I just want... I mean, you don't want me to mention this, but you have put on more shows than... You know, Chris was 143, right? Up to 143, or is it 140? Yeah, 143. He died at episode 142. Yeah, yeah. And 143 was uh, about his death. And you're up to 287. 289 this week. 289. So, so but, but the point is, yeah. like, that is a, is a fact. There are a yes. bunch of bonus episodes. I yeah. think it's pretty yeah. comparable. But the fact, that fact is sad to me. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's more negative... I don't think that you can compare the show that Chris and I made with the current show. I think it was a totally different uh, show. Absolutely, and that's and that's why it's like an un- unfair thing. But the point that I'm making is, is that you persevered and and you kept you kept going, which I'm very very uh, proud of you for doing that. I think it's very important, and I think the Dopey Nation is uh, is a. I, I mean, I don't know what's going on with all these feuds and stuff. But uh, we're starting a feud with Mackenzie Phillips. I, 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 I can't believe you're interested I can't, in joining in on that one. I can't believe you with this stuff. I mean, you, you, this must be this is shtick, right? Because I, I don't, don't know. Like Mackenzie Phillips disrespected the family. No, she did. She did. Yeah, this is such Dopey Nation. Don't go along with his. Do you want to read feuds. another review? Not if I don't have to. But here, um, why don't you read? Do you want me the the long one or the short one? The short one. Is okay. Hey guys! No, you gotta read the title oh, of the review. I'm sorry, atrocious weed, five here, here. stars. Jesus, Dad. Sorry, <laughs> sorry everybody. Atrocious weed, five stars by Swanee Boy three two one eight nine, March fifteenth two thousand and twenty one. Hey guys, love your podcast. Just listened to the atrocious weed episode. Made me laugh just as just as hard as as Chris. I find it funny because I can relate to being a weed snob just as much as you, Dave. No one likes brick weed. Anyway, keep it up. I love listening to the stories. Helps me keep in the right path of recovery. Stay strong and toodles for Chris. What about you, Dad? Do you do you uh do you like brick weed? What's your what's your feeling about that? 
my my feeling is is that I've had enough talk about marijuana in my this. life. Let me ask you this: as a total novice in this world, yes, total. What would you imagine brickweed is? Why do you suppose they call it brickweed? Because it's shaped like a brick and hard. Why would that be though? Why would it be? So it's easy to transport so people, so people can carry more bricks in their pockets or something? Did you ever consider shipping being a mule for some brick weed <laughs> no, operation? I, I, I didn't consider that. But l- Let's let me, do one more review before you go. <laughs> Another review? Yes. No feuding, folks. It's not good. Here, this is, this is my favorite one. Once I'm not reading this. <laughs> Just come on. No. That's for good old times. Listen. I refuse to read. This is this is the privileged white person again with my no. This is nonsense. Dopey nation. I'm not reading it. No. So Sorry. do you have anything else you want to say before you well, go? Well, I thought the, you and Dr. Hinsinger was wonderful. I think I think that's a great great. Do you show. see a lot of money coming in the alt recovery movement? Well, that's the whole point I was trying to make. I keep buying these website things. I, I, I and and I have no idea why the heck I'm buying it because you don't do anything with it. He listens to the show. He makes well, me I go, want the dopey. David, I bought this. I, I bought that. I want the dopey. I, we we I have actually it's in my name. <laughs> DopeyAltRecovery.com and AltRecoveryMovement.com. I also have a OtheloCookie.com. That's how far that's going. Look to the cookie. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather eat the cookie. Uh, DopeyNation.com. All those things, and they're sitting there. I don't know what yeah, they're doing. Every year, right? Yeah, I have to renew it. And it's I, like 50 cents. It's not. How, it's $1.50. What is it? How $10. much does it cost? $10. No, you're both you're both incorrect. How much? We're talking. This is 2021. Indeed, it's, we're talking thirty dollars, twenty five, thirty dollars each year, uh, forty dollars for two years. I mean, we're talking. Mister Big Shot, I want to invest in Dopey. I am investing. Oh, yeah, you're not yeah, doing yeah. anything Holy with the cow. investment. There's no return. Oh, <laughs> no return. Are you kidding me? I've bu- I built a podcasting empire. The, the empire needs a new emperor. or Something here. Okay, I mean, just just relax. Just take it easy. Take a deep breath. Yes. In other news, well, first say goodbye. Um, say good- that's that's it? it. You're done. <laughs> everybody, stay strong, everybody, and be healthy. And toodles for Chris. All right, Ray, get get back in the chair. You're you yeah, you, you stay. You, I don't know. I don't know where you should go. But before we go, there's big news. Wait a minute, am I trapped here? And the big news was that um, you're good. I'm good. last episode we had Bridget Fetisy on, uh, who I thought was good. Dad, did you like Bridget Fetisy? Yeah, yeah, she was very good. She was very funny, and uh, she said some important things, too. Yes, and, and the thing with Bridget Fetisy was I recorded the interview with her, uh, and I recorded a two-and-a-half-hour-long interview with her. In the middle of it, my recorder ran out of batteries. Wow. I went downstairs to replace the batteries. Rather than hitting stop at the end, I pulled the batteries out, and I lost... An hour and a half of the interview. Oh, gone. No. And then I had to get her back on to re-record the first hour and a half again. Wow. How, how, I mean, just because you took the batteries out, the whole thing stopped? The whole thing failed. That's terrible. Terrible. So what did I do? I finally remembered that the Dopey Nation had raised a bunch of money to buy gear, and I went to B&H and I bought new Dopey gear. Now, are we using the new Dopey gear? No. No. But I did buy a a cord for this recorder so we would never run out of batteries again. 
Oh, that's that's wonderful. Now, so the Dopey Nation has gotten you this new gear, right? We have serious this. I mean, I could have just replaced it with this, but look to the show. Really fucking high tech stuff. Start, starting when? I don't know when I'm when I take it out of the box and learn how to use it, which is very scary. So what is this thing here? This uh, red light that's going on. That's a recording thing. What are you talking? It looks about? like looks like a taser. It's called a Zoom H four. N Pro. It looks very formidable. Really. Dad, you're, you're ruining the show right now, so just be quiet, please. We're going to say goodbye, Ray. Do you have anything else you want to say to the Dopey Nation before they go? The show was better with Chris. What about you, Dad? <laughs> Stay strong, Dopey Nation. You want to you end the show, right? Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, what? You listened recently yeah. to an episode with Chris. Do you I, remember? I did. What was the episode Why did you I listened do that? to? You listened to, what was it? Oh, because for, there was some reason. It was, it was bizarre because it's so different. The quality of the recording is so different. The tone of the show is so different. What was it that you listened to? It was, I wanted to hear a guest. Oh, it was a, a Brian. Oh, it was Brian Healy. Yeah, the crackhead lawyer. Crackhead lawyer. Yeah. And, and anyone who's worried about crackhead lawyer, he's got, uh, I think, 18 months clean. He worked 12 steps. He's in a relationship, living in some barn in the Berkshires. He's doing great. Yeah, I talked to him for a long time, and then now, I listened to his episode. Would you say the show was better with Chris now that you listened to it? It was. It did have a quality that is very funny with you and Chris. It's like you know, it's not like you and I. It's like a, it was a different vibe, and it's funny. What a downer you are to the end I'm of the show. <laughs> You're supposed to say no. It's a different. It's show. It's better now. It's, it's a different it's, show. It's just not better now. It's different. It's different. Different. It's better. Better now? Better with Chris. Better with Chris. All right. Well, if you can fucking get a voodoo job and raise him from the dead, that would be fucking terrific. But that way you say better with Chris. I'm joking. Hurts me. I just keep thinking we have to do a video now. That's true. Uh, Why don't you end the show, Ray? Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you for coming back. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Uh, And uh, be well, everybody. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds. 
Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad Suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had